Okay, we're going we're to spend three weeks in the book of Luke, in uh, chapter 15, which is, in your Bibles, it might be marked up as the parable of the lost son, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the lost son and the older brother uh, in these three weeks in August. And this story of the, uh, the prodigal son uh, really should be really the story of the really, really generous father. It's, it's a story that follows two other stories. And one of the stories that Jesus talks about is the parable, the story of the lost sheep. And says that a shepherd who has hundred sheep will leave the ninety-nine and go looking for the one. And then it's followed by a story called the, the story of the lost coin. It's about a woman who loses a coin and basically turns the house upside down to find this lost coin. And uh, once she finds it, she celebrates and throws a party. And then Jesus tells this amazing story of the, of the of a younger son and an older brother and their relationship to the father. And it's really about a father who absolutely loves his kids. Often when we look at this parable in Luke 15, we often concentrate really just on the younger brother and his relationship to the father and how he squanders the family inheritance. But this month we want to make sure we look at both the younger brother and the older brother and the father. Because actually both the younger son and the older son in Luke 15 are both alienated from their father. They're actually both separated from their father. And uh, the younger son is separated from his father because he overtly, deliberately squanders his wealth that he gets from the father. He squanders it in sinful living. But the older brother is well as alienated from the father because he is a kind of slave to religious rules, really. Um, he doesn't really relate to the father in terms of intimacy and connection. He relates to the father in terms of, I slave for you, I work for you, I never took a day off, I never asked for anything from you, I deserve more. And the youngest son is alienated through sin. But this month, this, this week, we really want to concentrate on the younger of the two. And if you're in Luke 15 and verse 11, so Jesus continues, he's told those other two stories. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, to say that to your dad in those times is like saying to your dad, I wish you were dead now, and that you were dead, and actually your estate was being divided up right now. That's what he's really saying. Father, I wish you were buried. I wish you didn't exist. I wish I could have now what I would rightfully have when you're dead. So it's a shocking thing to say. But the father generously says, okay, I will give you your request. And then it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay? So he's gone off, taken a family inheritance, and blown the whole thing by just parties, craziness, madness, wild, sinful living. And after, and after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
So I want you to see, this is a guy who's getting lower and lower and lower. First of all, he wishes dad was dead so he can get the inheritance. He gets the inheritance, goes off to this city, and blows the whole thing on sin. Now he's a good Jewish boy who's now having to work with pigs. And obviously it was not a kosher meat. He can't get much lower. Okay? And then he comes to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. So he got up and went to the father. He's not really heartbroken because he's upset the father. He's not really (coughs) repenting and upset about the fact that he's wished his dad was dead. He's not really upset about the fact he's squandered everything on crazy, sinful living. He's not really upset that he's having to work with pigs. He's upset because, or he's repentant because he knows that back home, even the hired slaves have things to eat. So he's not really in a desire to make a right connection to the father. He's not really in a place where he's thinking, I want to make restitution with the father so that we can be connected again, so that I can relate again, so that we can be friends again. He's thinking, I'm dying of starvation, and back home they've got food. You know, I want to say that he, in this moment, he doesn't really feel worthy to say, I'm going back home to be a son. He doesn't feel worthy to say, I'm going back home to be a son. He now has a new identity. He thinks, the only thing I can expect, because of all that I've done, and all the mistakes I've done, the only thing I can really expect is to be called a servant and a higher hand. And in a sense, he is now dominated by something called shame. Guilt is where we feel guilty about an action that we've taken. We feel guilt about something. But shame is a whole identity. He's moved from, I have an identity as a son, to really the best I can ever hope for now is an identity as a higher servant. I don't ever expect to be a son, but I need to eat. And I, I just feel that sometimes for us, there can be things that we wish we had said that we didn't say, and there can be things that we wish we had done and we didn't do, There can be things that we feel we could have done better and we didn't. There can be mistakes that we've made, things that we've squandered, and we just don't feel worthy anymore. It's not actually we feel even just guilt about it. We feel we've got an identity now that I'm not worthy to access sonship. That at best I can be a hired hand, at best I can be a servant, at best maybe the father might give some scraps that I might be full, but I don't feel worthy. And it's interesting that the son, at one point, must have felt worthy, because he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It must have been a sense that before he made the request and said, Father, I wish you were dead, and before the craziness in the city and before feeding pigs, he must have felt at one point he was worthy to access the inheritance. And now he feels completely unworthy. 
completely unable to access what at one point he felt he had through his own efforts. It's like he lived, unworthy, 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 oh, I've made a mistake, I've blown it, I'm never ever going to be worthy again to access the Father, to access the resources of the Father, to access inheritance, to access identity, to access sonship, to access belonging. I'm now not worthy. And it says, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. I've blown it. I've failed you. I've made it. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven in what I've done in what I've not done. And the father, what does the father do? Because this is where it gets really interesting. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party. Well, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. The father completely ignores the son's plea of I'm not worthy. The father completely ignores the son's speech of I want to be a high hand, I just want to be a servant, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father it totally ignores all of his pleas for unworthiness, and the father completely ignores all of his shame and all of his sense of, look, my new identity is I'm a shame-filled son who has not only made a mistake, I am a mistake. Who has not only sinned, I am a rotten sinner. Who has not only failed, I am a failure. That's what shame does. It gives you this whole new identity. I've made a mistake, I failed, I let down, I didn't do, I didn't keep my promises, I've made terrible, terrible errors in judgment, in whatever area it is. Now I'm not only feeling guilty, I'm feeling shameful, and that's who I am. And the Father completely ignores all of that. And instead, there's this invitation from the Father to celebrate, to delight, to welcome back and reconnect. And so the father, in a sense, is saying, I thought you were dead, now I know you're alive. You were lost, now I found you. I'm not going to talk about what's gone on. I want to talk about reconnection. I want to talk about intimacy. I want to talk about compassion. I want to talk about celebration. I want to talk about you and me. I'm the father and now you're the son again. I don't want to hear about you saying you're unworthy now to be a hired hand, a servant, someone on the outside. I'm bringing you right back into the centre of this family and everything you lost through squandering and through sin. I'm restoring it all back to you. So this is the, what Jesus is saying here. This is Jesus saying, I want you to know what the Father is like. Amen. 
I want you to know what a father is like. You see, sometimes Christians can go along as a Christian and then they make a mistake, they fail, they don't live up to their own standard, they get it wrong. And then they find it really hard then to reconnect with the Father because they say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm only worthy maybe to be on the outskirts of your household, a higher hand at best. But I will not reconnect with you because I no longer feel worthy. And sometimes Christians live on a treadmill of trying to make themselves worthy by religious activities, of trying to cover over their shame and their their failure by activity and effort, when actually the Father says, I'm not really interested in whether you think you're worthy or not. (laughs) I'm not really interested in your assessment whatsoever. It says, it says, but while he was a long way off, His father saw him, was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Heads of household in those days did not run. Okay, It was unsightly. It was something that you would never see the patriarch, the father of the household, running, lifting up his robes and running. It just wouldn't happen. And so Jesus is saying, the father's like this. He looks at the horizon. He would have been watching every day. Is is this the day he's coming back? Is this the day he's coming back? Is this the day? Some would have come up. Some would have gone down. Disappointed father goes back to bed. And there was a day, it says, where the father saw him. But the father saw him. But why was a long way off? He must have known his son, how his son walked, how his son carried himself. The son is... His head is down in shame. He's rehearsing, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be you called your son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Maybe one of your hired servants is practicing it. But the Father sees him from a long way off and runs to him. Runs to him. Some commentators say this. The reason why the Father has to run to the Son is because it was the right of the people in the village to get to the Son first and do a particular ceremony of throwing pots at the, at the sun to throw, throw broken shards at him as a declaration, you're a shameful, awful boy. What do you think you're doing back around here? And so the father has to run to the son as a sense of urgency because he wanted to see his son because he was lost and now he's found, he was dead, now he's alive. But there's also a sense he has to get there before the others get there to say, hey, no one touches my boy. No one touches him. No one brings an accusation against him. No one punishes him. No one gets to throw a, a pot to shame him. He's, he's my son. He was lost. Quick, bring the robe. Bring the sandals. Bring the ring. He's back right in as a son. He's back right in as an accepted, beloved one of the family household. He's an amazing father. He's an amazing father. You see, in one sense the gospel's this. It does matter what you did, because that's why Jesus died. Okay, so the father is not like this, oh, just sweep it under the carpet, and we'll forget about it, we'll whistle that away, or we'll put a new screensaver on the computer, just so we pretend that nothing happened. 
No, it was dealt with by the wonderful elder brother Jesus. And so, there was a moment in history where the elder brother Jesus faces false accusation. He's called the worst sinner who ever lived. He's flogged and beaten and whipped. Who goes out to Golgotha? Who gets nailed to a cross? The Holy Lamb of God becomes what he was not. Sin. Our sin. Your sin. He died for us. He died as us. He takes the punishment that we deserved for wishing God. I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to squander the life you've given me on crazy sin and wildness. Or maybe not wildness. Maybe unforgiveness, maybe bitterness, maybe ignoring God and ignoring love and ignoring people, maybe just ignoring the things that God has placed in, in place. And yet all of that was placed on Jesus. And in our place he dies for us, he dies as us. And then Jesus says at one moment, he says, it is finished. It is finished. What's finished? The atonement. Everything needed to pay for our justification so that we can be right with God. Everything needed so that we can have a fresh start, a clean heart. Everything needed so that we would not live on the outside as a higher hand servant, but could come right into the heart and be called a son, and be called his friend, and be called his beloved. The Father says really to you, if you know that, you feel actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not just somebody's made a mistake and got some guilt. I am a mistake. I have failed so badly. I am shameful. The Father says, do not say over yourself, I am no longer worthy. Because in all due respect, the Father would say to you, I'm really not interested in your assessment of you in that way. I am satisfied. Okay, God is satisfied. I am persuaded by my son's Jesus' death. I am convinced. I choose to love you. I choose to delight in you. I love this bit here. It says, he put a ring on his finger. Now, the, the son has a right to go to the city gates and do business on behalf of the father could buy and sell and do business and trade. And how they would know that he is the son of that father is by the ring. They could see the ring and say, okay, you can do business, you can do trade, you can sell, you can buy. We'll deal with you as if you were the father because you've got the seal of the father's approval. Wow, what acceptance. This is the son who the last time he had a bit of money, last time he had a bit of wealth, went off and squandered it in sinful living in a distant country, it says. The last time he got any money, he was off. As soon as he comes back, the father says, you're a son, you've got all the rights of a son, now you can represent me at the gate and they'll deal with you as if they were dealing with me. The father says that to some of us who feel, oh, I couldn't ever be used by God, I failed him too much. I could never be someone who could pray for the sick in my office. I've failed too much. I could never share the gospel and see people come to know Jesus. I am shameful. I am a failure. And the Father says, I've got a ring on your finger. You can represent me. You can trade on my behalf. You can represent me around. It's an amazing act of grace. You see, holding on to the fear 
feelings of I am unworthy will hinder the flow. How do you know if you're suffering from shame? How do you know if that thing that you did has left you feeling shameful? Some of the hints are these. I tend to agree with the lies I hear in my head about how defective or unattractive I am. Can you see that shame is not like guilt. Guilt is that sense of I've done something wrong. There was an action I did that I just need to say sorry for. Shame becomes an identity. It doesn't actually have to be a big thing. Often it's something we've done that wasn't, we broke our own standards. Fellow gods. It can be, I tend to filter all information negatively. If I do something right, I discount it and focus on what was still missing. I can't receive compliments, but focus on my flaws. So it's a shame person can't feel anything's good about them because they just feel I am a failure. I tend to compare myself with others and hold impossible standards for myself and them. Actually, we can sometimes see if we're suffering with shame, by, uh, if we're really critical of others, because sometimes we can feel so rotten about ourselves, it makes us feel better for a moment if we can just pull other people down and make ourselves feel, well, I'm not the only shameful person. There are others who are failing just as much as me. Shame can be seen as this, I tend to avoid making decisions because I don't want to make a mistake or appear foolish to others. Shame can leave us feeling, I tend not to know where I belong, can feel isolated and unsure that other people want me around. Shame can be, I tend to be preoccupied with my imperfections and will often replay conversations from the day wondering, what did they mean by that comment? Shame can lead you to being prone towards performance addiction. Because you want others to think well of you, you try to prove yourself worthy of respect. These are all things that shame manifests as. Shame can have an idea that God is harsh, and that God is going to judge you harshly, and that if you ever got near him, he would crush you and expose you and punish you. But when we read what the Father is really like, what Jesus wanted us to know about the Father, we don't find that. We find a forgiving Father. We find one who gives favour as a gift, not something that we have to work for. So that we live from favour, not for favour. He gives love as a gift of kindness and mercy and compassion. And then we live from love, not for love. We get given our identity as a son, as a daughter, as a beloved one, as a gift. Then we function from that, not for that. And so we have to be radical in our hearts. Holding on to feelings of being unworthy does stop the flow of what we enjoy in God. 
it sets limits on our heads of what we think we can have. Well, I'm only ever going to be a hired hand. I'm only ever going to be a servant of the Most High. I'm only ever going to be someone who's on the outside trying to get in. And the Father says, no, you come right in. Because shame and the sense of shame of what's happened in the past puts a limit on what we experience. It's, it can lead to resisting his invitation. And so actually we have to repent of any obstacles in our heart that does not agree with what the Father says about us. Because the Father says this about you. I love you. And when you came to know me, I saw you on the horizon. I ran to you. And that my son Jesus paid for everything needed for you to come home to be restored and to be loved. I put my robe on your back. I put my sandals on your feet. I placed a ring on your finger. You are accepted. You don't have to filter information negatively anymore, looking for my critique of you, my judgment of you, my punishment of you. You just need to know my heart towards you. I delight in you. And God says, I find you utterly irresistible. I absolutely love you. And the day you became a follower of my son Jesus, the day you were reconnected to me through him, I rejoice because you were once lost and now you're found. You were once dead and now you're alive. You were once in a far off country, now you're home. You were once on the outside, now you're on the inside. And he says, I celebrate you when you're doing well. And I celebrate you when you feel you're not doing so well. Because quite honestly, it's not about whether you think you're doing well or you think you're doing badly. It's what I think of you that really, really matters. And so the Christian is called to be someone who's not past-focused, kind of living in the present, but always focused on the past. But in Christ, to know that in Christ I no longer live. I've died. I'm a new creation. So I can be present and future-focused. I'm being changed from glory to glory. I'm being made more and more like Jesus. I'm no longer going to allow something of the past to define how I see myself, or how I see my circumstances, or how I see God, or how I see others. I'm going to allow what God says to shape me in the present and transform me into the future. So God is the God who waits 24 hours a day for the sun to return. And he wants this to be the foundation of our lives. That we can say in our lives, of our circumstances, of our futures, I am the son, I am the daughter of a really, really good dad. That's who I am. That's who I am. But the father is not cold, the father is not aloof, the father is warm and affectionate, loving and celebrating. He's a really, really good dad. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a one who was on the outside, was spat upon, as if he was the worst shameful person who'd ever walked the earth. Jesus carried your shame. Jesus carried your guilt. Jesus carried it and then he said, it is finished. So that you could have the free gift of a brand new identity 
as a son, as a daughter, at home in the household of a farmer, with a ring on your finger, now commissioned to do business on behalf of the Father. Not dictated to by something you didn't do, wished you had, something you said you wished you'd never said. Not an identity from a failure or a mistake, but an identity of sonship, of adoption, Mm. of love. He runs to his son to bring him home. And next week we'll deal with the other son who actually has an even bigger problem than the younger son. Because sometimes we can think the biggest problem we can have is sin. Now that is a big problem. But I think an even bigger problem is a son like the older brother who's at home in the father's household but has a slavish mentality that does not connect with the father in intimacy and acceptance. We're going to look at actually how religious duty can separate just as much as sinful craziness. We'll look at that next week. So I'm just going to invite us to stand.